Uh, good morning. I'm Brian. I also go by Bo, as Matt said, and excited to get to share this time with you this morning. Um, if you turn right away to John chapter 2, verse 13, that's where we'll pick up in just a little bit. Um, a little background to how I'm standing here in front of you today. Uh, the most simple version is that God took me out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Um, I might start crying already, but, uh, but, but just the beauty of who he is and the love that he has for us, he shined it abroad in my heart. And that's why I'm here this morning, uh, because God showed me his love and he wants to express his love through me, just like he wants to express and show his love to you, uh, each one of us. Um, I was actually driving here this morning and on my way, this, this music stand came to mind. I've seen it before just over the years at River's Edge. It's traveled around to a couple of different buildings now. And on the front of it, um, if you take the papers away and look, it says Whitworth College <laughs> Music Department. <laughs> uh, maybe you've seen this around before. Um, but as I, as I was driving and I was thinking about this morning and me being here and us being together, it actually painted a beautiful picture for me. Of uh, I was actually a student at Whitworth College when it was still called Whitworth College. And what the Lord has done in my heart um, from, from before I was born, but what he's done in my heart from the time that I was at Whitworth College to now be standing here in front of you, um, my heart is in this place of saying, hey, I, I want to make a beautiful melody to the Lord. Like, I, I, I want to stand and, and have this just be an aroma or a beautiful sound to your Lord. And, and thinking about this stand on the way coming in, it was just a beautiful picture of what the Lord's done in me, of saying, hey, I have rescued you from just blindness and darkness, and I want to play a song through you. Um, and this just gets to be a little expression of that today, the time that we get to spend. Um, he is so, so good. Um, so what we're going to be doing is we're stepping through the book of John verse by verse, and we're continuing that today. Okay? Uh, last week, if you remember, uh, Matt brought us through Jesus at the wedding festival, turning water into wine. Uh, he talked a little bit about the signs within that, that Jesus was actually pointing to something more than just the miraculous act. Okay, he was pointing to, hey, here's who I am, and here's what I've come to do. Okay. Uh, our story picks up today. Jesus is now done with the wedding, spent some time with some family and friends, and now we see him entering Jerusalem as our text picks up. In chapter 2, verse 13, I'll read it for us. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. 
Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Let's go ahead and pray. Yeah, Lord, we just, we just take a moment uh, to turn our hearts and our minds, um, our attention to you. Um, even, even the screaming we can hear from upstairs, it's a beautiful picture of the world around us just vying for our attention. Um, and, and you just come and you say, hey, would, would you sit with me? Would you be with me? Would, would you turn your heart and your gaze? Would you, would you look at me? Um, would you let me lead you? Um, yeah, so would this morning, Lord, just be a time of, of turning our gaze, uh, of opening our ears, opening our hearts. Uh, would you proclaim uh, to us and through us all that you desire us to hear this morning? Would it be a beautiful melody, Lord? Um, not just the songs that Nick uh, has led us in, not just the words that I share, but even us as we sit in these seats, may our, may our hearts be a beautiful melody to you, Lord, um, as you just approach us uh, in your still, small voice, and you say, hey, I have something for you today. Would you, would you listen? Would you follow me? Um, so we give this time ahead to you, Lord Holy Spirit. We invite you here to have your way um, as we just dive into all that you have for us this morning. We give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, welcome to Passover time. Jews from all over the region are making their way to Jerusalem for the annual festival. It's celebrating Israel's liberation from slavery in Egypt. Okay, God has done amazing things, and the people are here to celebrate. Some estimates say that during Passover time, the population of Jerusalem grew by anywhere from three to six times. Okay, so today that would be like the entire Portland metro area saying, we want to come to Spokane to celebrate Christmas. You can kind of picture the scene. Okay, the streets are full. Every room is booked and filled. The city is bursting at the seams. It's the same way as we see Jerusalem this morning. Our scene today is set in the temple in Jerusalem. This is the most important place in the entire city. Okay. This is the house of the living God. It's the tangible place on the earth where God lets his presence dwell. Okay. This temple is where all people can come and meet with God. And this is where we find ourselves as the story begins. A crowded Jerusalem in the most important place in the entire city. And this is where Jesus walks into the temple. Okay, we have a great benefit from where we sit today of having a post-resurrection viewing platform. Getting to be able to see, hey, this Jesus who's walking into the temple, we know that he's exactly who John the Baptist said he was. Hey, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the Passover Lamb to end all Passover Lambs. This is what the Gospels or the Scriptures point to and declare. In Colossians 1.19, it reads, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. 
the fullness of God dwelling in human flesh. This is Jesus. And this is who's walking into the temple that day. One physical temple of the living Lord of all creation is entering another physical temple of that same living Lord. Yahweh, the great I Am, the beginning and the end. Two temples are coming together in the exact same time, in the exact same place. Wow. So what happens when one temple enters another? What does the walking, talking temple that is Jesus proceed to do? Well, he takes in the scene, and then he starts to make a whip. Now, ideally, two temples of the same Lord coming together would be a beautiful and seamless act. But that's not what we see here today. Our scene is taking place in the outer courts of the temple. This is a place that's also called the courts of the Gentiles. It's called that because this is the only portion of the temple that all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, can come and meet with and worship the living God. But today, worship is not going on in these outer courts. We pick up in our story, and Jesus walked in, And it was anything but worship. The courts were filled with vendors. Now, we don't know for sure. Maybe this is something that happened every single day, or maybe this was just something because of the demands of the Passover time. Um, Hey, we'll set up some shops in here because the city is overflowing and flooded. Um, Surely the vendors could have justified this in Passover, saying, hey, the, the streets are filled. Hey, there's not space to be found anywhere. The people need sacrificial animals during this time. We're actually offering a service here, don't you see? Justifying the actions of filling that portion of the temple. But justified in their minds or not, something didn't sit right with Jesus. So he proceeded to take in the scene and then make a whip. Before we move past this, I want to pause here for just a moment and examine the whip a little bit farther. He takes time to handcraft this instrument, but what was he actually doing with the whip here? Was he after the people with it? Was he after the animals? Was it just for dramatic effect? You can imagine the Jerusalem headlines the next day if Jesus was indeed after the people with the whip. But that's not what we see or hear. We actually don't see or hear about the whip landing anywhere. So, So why a whip? Why a whip? We read later on in John chapter 5 that Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. Nothing about Jesus, his life, his ministry, or his whip-making is just happenstance. He could have used anything that day to drive the people out of the temple. Maybe Peter even had the sword that he would later use to dismember an ear Right? Hey, can I borrow that for a second? We need to get these people out of here. But no, Jesus purposely chose to make a whip. Why? Last week we learned in the teaching from Matt about signs throughout the Gospel of John. We learned about the miraculous act of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding. We also learned that it wasn't simply the miraculous act itself. It was what Jesus was pointing to through his action. It was a sign regarding who he is and what he was coming to accomplish. And I think we see something similar here in our story today. First, starting with the whip. So first, we see a sign in the whip that Jesus crafted. This whip didn't find a landing spot as he cleared out the temple. 
But the next time that we do see a whip finding its mark in Scripture, it's on the back of Jesus. It's when Pilate has him sent away to be flogged while he's on his way to his crucifixion. This whip in the temple is a sign from Jesus pointing to himself as the one who would take the punishment that we deserve. Hey, merchants, you deserve to have this whip fall on you today before a holy and righteous God, but I'm going to take it on my back instead. He's giving us a sign. Jesus also gave us a sign that day that he is making room for the Gentiles. This is amazing news. See, the kingdom of God will include every tongue and tribe and nation. The Gentiles had been crowded out of the temple that day, but Jesus made space for them. And there will be space in his kingdom as well for Jews and Gentiles alike. The good news was for everyone. So again, why a whip and why drive them out from the outer courts? Jesus was giving us a sign that he was willing to pay the price and let the whip fall on his own back so that everyone may come freely to God. He he cleared out the outer courts of the Gentiles to remind us that every tongue and tribe and nation would be welcome in his kingdom. More than just the act itself, he was pointing to who he is and what he's coming to do. This is good news. Now I'd like to make one more jump here and focus in on John the author and where he is standing and writing from. Okay, remember, this account is being written decades after the fact. Okay, actually, when John is putting pen to paper or papyrus or however he, he put this down, when John is writing this letter, the physical temple in Jerusalem had already been destroyed by the Romans. And we know how the story of Jesus turns out. He did exactly what he said he would do. He destroyed this temple, meaning his body, and I'll raise it again in three days. So at the time when John writes, the old temple is gone, the new temple has ascended, and in the course of just a few decades, we go from having one physical temple in Jerusalem to two physical temples when Jesus comes comes onto the scene to zero of those physical temples now being present on the earth. But as we continue to read on in the New Testament, we're actually pointed to another temple, a third temple, if you will. We'll actually put a couple verses onto the screen right now that point us very clearly to where this new temple of God is on the earth. First, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul writes, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? And later on in that same letter, we read, Do not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Where is the physical temple of God here on the earth? Well, you who are in Christ, it's you. It's you and it's me. We are the temple of the living God, the place here on earth where his presence dwells. God has done amazing things. The Lord of all creation, he lives in us. And what does the Lord desire of his temple? Well, it's the same that we see in the story of John. The Lord desires that every part of his temple be used for his purposes. Again, the Lord desires that every part of his temple be used for his purposes. 
It's a place for him to be praised, to be encountered, to be loved, to be known. A place where he is elevated above all else. But as we see from our text today, it doesn't take much for the outer courts of a temple to begin to look almost identical to the world around it. Okay, the marketplace inside the temple that day looked very similar to the streets just outside of it. And it can be the same with us. A marketplace of justified sin. See, just like the merchants in the temple of Jerusalem could justify their actions that day, saying, hey, there's no space. The people need animals to sacrifice. There's not really many Gentiles here anyway. We'll just set up in these outer courts. In the same way that they could justify their actions in the old temple, you and I can justify the filling of our outer courts as well. Hey, Jesus, there's a really good reason for this fear to have a tent on the outskirts of my life. I mean, you've watched the news lately. That's why the fear is here, Lord, you know. And oh, this unforgiveness that's camped out here in these outer courts, well, you know the story behind that, Lord. And slowly but surely, the outer courts of this new temple begin to fill up with justifiable sin. Justifiable to us, yes, but the Lord has a different perspective and desire for this temple, just like he did in Jerusalem that day. Whether it's justified in our eyes or not, God desires that every part of his temple be used for his purposes. The outer courts are made so that the Gentiles could set forth God's praise, but they had filled them up with other things. And our temple courts have been made so that we may be the light of the world, but there are some tents that have popped up in these outer courts as well that aren't for his purposes. So as we close this morning, we're going to set aside some time just for God to come and have the opportunity to walk through his temple, this temple, us. It's much along the same lines as we read in Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24, where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We're going to invite the Lord to walk through and examine his temple. And as we sit before him, we can simply be asking, Lord, is there anything in these temple courts of my life that you want to do away with? Is there any part of this temple that is not being used for its intended purposes? Have I justified the existence of things in my life that should actually have no place in your temple? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to set aside just five or ten minutes and sit before the Lord in this space. Let him walk through these temple courts. Now, when, when I think about this for myself, I had a picture come to mind as I was preparing, and it's like Jesus at the door of my heart, and he was knocking, and he's saying, Brian, will you let me in? Can I, can I come and search you? And I go over to the door, and it's like a peephole at a hotel room, and I kind of peer through the door, and I see him on the other side, and he has a whip in his hands. And I say, hey, my initial thought is, I know I have things in these outer courts, and I don't really want you to see them, Lord. I'm not really interested in letting you in here to walk around and do what you want to do. Uh, but my encouragement to us this morning is that we let him have his way in these temple courts. 
Why let him have his way? Because he's the one who took the whip on his own back. Okay. We who deserve to have it fall on us, he already took it on himself. Okay. His body, his blood, he, he laid down himself that we may now be found in him, full and righteous and redeemed. He isn't coming after us in condemnation or shame. This is awesome news. Okay. Jesus didn't bring down the whip on the merchants that day, and he won't bring it down on us either. He's not knocking at our door to search us and condemn us. He's knocking at our door because he loves us. And he's here to remind us that he's already paid the price for all of our sins. Oh, that fear over there whips it. I paid for that. That, that unforgiveness sitting in you whips it. I, I paid for that too. Jesus desires that every part of his temple be used for its, for its intended purposes, his purposes. And yet he comes to us in love, reminding us that he's taken the whip on his own back. He paid the price with his own life so that our temples may be fully his. So to end, we're just going to put one question up on the screen. And like I said, we're going to spend the next five or ten minutes just before the Lord, letting him walk through these temple courts. And this is the question, Lord, is there anything in the temple courts of my life that you would like to expose and clear out? in your love. So I'll pray for us and we'll head into this time of sitting before the Lord. Oh Lord, we give you glory. <laughs> Thanks that you're holy. Thanks that you don't let us hold on to our justified sin, Lord. Uh, you actually have a better plan for us. Uh, you want to come in not in condemnation and not in shame, uh, but just shining your lights, your, your love and your light into our hearts to let us know, hey, I, I, I laid my life down for you. I've paid for this. I'm not coming to condemn you. I've come to save you. Would you, would you let me show you? Uh, so as we spend this time before you, Lord, we just invite you. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you search us, as the psalmist says? Would you point out anything in us that offends you? And would you lead us along the path of everlasting life? Lord, it's in your love that you meet us this morning. Would you give us soft hearts and open ears uh, just, to, just to hear you and let you walk around these courts today. Give you glory and praise, Lord, in Jesus' name.